Amen. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to church. It's great to be here. Let me get my stuff out so I can get ready. I got thrown off there with the... There we go. Well, one of the things I love so much about coming to church is that sometimes as you walk through the doors, you tend to see some unexpected faces in the crowd, which is awesome. It just builds you up, just encourages you so much. And so this morning, I would like to welcome... Uh, Clayton and Jean Walker, who are here from the Hampton Roads Church. They are elders out there in Hampton Roads, uh, but they are also very dear friends of, of Tiffany and I's and have uh, shared a lot, a lot of wisdom with us over the years, and we are very grateful uh, for them. So welcome to the Blue Ridge Church, guys. Also great to see Edwin here, back from Hawaii. That's awesome. Welcome, brother. It's always good. We used to have a joke. Every time I used to preach, Edwin would always do the communion. So when I saw Edwin in, I said, oh, you're doing the communion today. And he said, no, no, I'm not. I think Jesse's doing it. Yes, but Jesse and Caitlin did a wonderful job with the communion. Well, today is an awesome day. It's a very encouraging day. One of our own, a UVA graduate, is getting married today in Virginia Beach. Yes. That would be Benjamin Hutchins. And so our thoughts and prayers are with them and for their, for their wedding. And actually, several of us have made that trip and are, are down there uh, to encourage them. But we will encourage them in heart and in spirit. But we are here to continue on in our summer theme. And that theme is compelled. Compelled. Do you feel compelled this morning? Yeah? All right. Somebody, one of us feels compelled. That's awesome. I feel compelled. I feel compelled to preach this morning. But the theme is compelled, and it's based on 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who should live no longer, wait, those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And Drew did an amazing job last week kicking us off on this series and sharing with us how to be compelled to live. And he challenged us to live a life not for ourselves, not to live and wake up every morning for me, but to to live for Jesus, the one who died for us and was raised again. So this morning, I want us to look at a topic, and we're going to talk about this morning, and that is being compelled to love. And that actually is the title of my sermon. I see it up there. Compelled to love. You know, I appreciate the communion message this morning and, and uh, Jesse and Caitlin sharing uh, and, and how we can feel that pressure to, to be able to share our faith and to be able to speak with words and share with people and convince them that Jesus loves them and convince them that Jesus died for them and convince them and persuade them to follow Jesus. And it's hard. But I think I know the secret and, and, and what will actually demolish any argument anyone can put up against Christianity. And I believe that secret is love. I love you. Oh, thanks, man. I love you. You know, how do, you, how do those words make you feel? When you feel those words, or when you feel those, when you hear those words, 
I think, I guess a lot of it depends on who, who is saying them to you. If I guess if I just approached you randomly in the fellowship and said, you know what, I love you. You know, that might be, you know, depending on who you are, might be different. But we all of us desire to hear those words. You know, I remember the first time that I, I shared those words with, with my bride, Tiffany, and told her that I loved her. It was like, and, and then to hear that back from her was such an amazing moment. Those are words that all of us long to hear, because I believe all of us are born with an innate desire and need for love and to be loved. And this need isn't, isn't only to be with us when we were young, but this need stays with us throughout our lives as we grow older, because we are meant to be loved. We were created by God for love. And in our quest for love, we, in fact, we will do anything for love. We will seek it at all costs. And unfortunately, in our quest for love, oftentimes it drives us to do things that are contrary to what we were, wait, what we were created for. You know, we end up seeking love in all the wrong places, right? If you're like me, that's what I did when I was younger. It's like that song. There's a song, right? That? Looking for love in all... Okay, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but when you look out at the world today, what do you see? Do you see an abundance of love? No. You know, when I look out in the world, I see a noticeable absence of love in our world. And when I say love, you know, I'm talking about God's love, about true love, about real love, not the world's love, not Hollywood's love. There's plenty of that out there, but not the real deal, love. And all these people out there who need love and desire love are looking for it, but it's nowhere to be found. I mean, just look at the news in recent times and how many people are ending their lives because of an absence of love in their life. You know, why is this? Because I believe not only are we meant to be loved, we are also meant to love. And loving others is a lot more difficult than being loved. Isn't that right? You know, love is a hard thing. You know, I love this quote from, from C.S. Lewis. If I can find it. It's at the end. Yeah, it's right here. Here we go. I feel every good sermon has to have a quote from C.S. Lewis in it at some point. All right? And C.S. Lewis says, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that cas casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken, no. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. You know, love is difficult. It opens, it up, opens us up. But yet when we do love and we really love, it can be so rewarding. But I believe that not only is do we, are, do we, are we meant to be loved and do we desire love? Love is necessary for us. 
It is necessary for us to love. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul tells us that even if we have faith to move mountains, but we do not have love, we are nothing. Nothing. That's how important love is. But the question is, how do we love? How can we love? Or even better yet, why? Why do we love? And those are the questions that I'll be seeking to answer this morning as we dig into our text in Luke 7. And if I haven't told you to turn to Luke 7, it's written up there, I believe. But please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. And we're going to begin reading there in, in verse 36. But in this text, I believe we see one of the most amazing portraits in all of the Bible of what it means to love and what grace really is. Luke chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 36. One of the Pharisees, oh, goodness. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went, talking about Jesus here. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that she was, he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. I'll stop there. You know, here we are introduced to the three main characters in the story. The first is is obviously Jesus, and he is the, the rabbi, the teacher, who was invited to, to be at this meal. He was an, an invited guest to this man Simon's house, Simon the Pharisee, Simon the religious leader of the day. But also we're introduced to a third character, and that is the sinful woman. You know, and part of me feels like she gets gypped in this whole situation, because one, why do we know Simon's name and not hers, right? I mean, come on. We should know her name, right? But then she is remembered throughout time as what? The sinful woman. But in reality, she's not the sinful woman. She is the forgiven woman. The forgiven woman. But she is known as the sinful woman in this story. And we see here in Luke's gospel a clear example of not only what it looks like to love, but also what it looks like when we are lacking in love. And the balance between these two in the scene is perfectly crafted by Luke as he contrasts the outrageous, and I, the outrageous adoration and love of the sinful woman to that of the equally outrageous rudeness of Simon. And that brings me to my first point. And I have two points today, so bear with me. My first point is love is kind, not rude. You know, again, in 1 Corinthians 13, which is probably the greatest definition of love in all the world, I believe. In verse 4 and 5, it reads, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Love is kind. Love is not rude. 
You know when a guest comes to your house for a visit and say, I have clay, come to my house for a visit. What are some of the customary things we will do when he arrives? What's some of the things that I would do, right? Probably invite him into the house. Oh, Clay, how are you doing? Come on in. Welcome to the Jeffers' house. If he's wearing a coat, if it's cold out, I'll take his coat for him and hang hang it up. And then probably ask him to come in and offer him a seat, make sure he's comfortable. Do you need anything to drink, Clay? You feeling all right? Need some water? Are you hungry? We've got some snacks here we can give to you. And we'll do all these things, right? We will attend to him and make sure that he is comfortable. And these are things all of us do when we have people at our house. And we do them naturally. They're second nature. They're part of our subconscious. It's part of our culture. And if I was to fail to do any of those things, you know, how would, how would Clay feel? You know, if I, if I just, you know, opened up the door and said, hey, Clay, how you doing? And walked away and left him there at the door. How would Clay feel about that? You know, it's these customary things that we do. He would, he would be feel neglected or slighted, right? You know, in the same way, there were cultural, cultural or customary practices that one would follow if they were hosting guests in the Middle East in the first century, okay? It would be common to have a servant there as people came in to wash the feet. They'd have a basin with water and have them come in and wash their feet, right? They've been walking around. They've got open-toed sandals or maybe bare feet. And they've been walking around in the dusty dirt all day, and they'd have their feet washed. It would be similar to you know, having someone take off their shoes as they enter into, into our house here. be kind of the same way. But not only that, it would be customary for the host to greet the guest with a kiss. And that's, that's a practice, actually, is still practiced in some parts of this country. Any, anybody from New Jersey here? Jersey. Yes. In my home state, that's what we do. We kiss. So if you come visit my family, you're going to get a hug and a kiss. No, Tiffany was shocked. Like, what is going on? How do I respond to this? Why are they kissing me? It's okay. That's our custom. That's our practice. That's what we show respect and honor. And finally, one would show honor and respect by anointing the person with, with oil, sometimes mixed with spices. I don't know if that was their hair was all dry. It's like kind of a conditioner, a leave-in conditioner that would make their hair look good and you know, smell nice with the spices. I'm not sure. But it was an, it's an ancient tradition in the Middle East. But what happens here when Jesus enters Simon's house? Does Simon do any of these things for Jesus? No, he does none of them. Jesus was the guest of honor, the esteemed rabbi, the teacher, walks into Simon's house, and Simon does nothing. And this most likely occurred while all of Simon's other guests were standing around watching. You know, in the first century world, hospitality and adherence to these cultural practices was huge. It was a major deal. To not do these things would be faux pas. It would be, like, bad. So obviously Simon here is trying to prove a point. He's doing this purposely to Jesus because he would not do this to any of his other rabbi friends. It's a huge deal. It's a major show of disrespect and a humiliation for Jesus. Simon was rude. He was being flat out rude to Jesus. There's no love there, no love at all whatsoever. Your love is not rude. Love is kind. But let's look at the sinful woman. Let's contrast that. Simon's response to the sinful woman. What does she do as Jesus walks in? And first, 
I'm going to point out two, two things with regards to the heart. One, I believe it's most likely that the sinful woman was forgiven prior to this meal. That at some point in, in the recent past there, before this meal, she had encountered Jesus and that, and that she had, her sins had been forgiven. And the other thing is that, that she was already there at the dinner when Jesus arrived. And it's kind of confusing in the, in the first few verses, but later on, Jesus said, you know, he says, as soon as I, I came in, she, she did not stop doing these things, right? In verse 45. And so she was already there. And so a lot of the guests were probably already there. But look at what she does. She sees Jesus come in. Her rabbi, her teacher, her Lord, her savior. And she sees this complete show of disrespect by Simon towards her, towards him. And as she's watching this, she's cut to the heart at this behavior, and she weeps, and she begins to cry. And then after Jesus reclines at the table, she approaches him at his feet and begins to wash them, not with water, but with her tears. Her tears. You know, imagine what this must have looked like to all the other guests, to see Jesus recline at a table and to see this woman this sinful woman, come in, crying, and going to him, to Jesus, and washing his feet, which Simon had neglected to do, with her tears. You know, in light of Jesus' humiliation, she humiliates herself to honor Jesus. But she doesn't stop there. Having washed his feet, she then proceeds to dry his feet with her garment, her cloth on her garment. No. She does it with her hair. And that could only have meant one thing. And that was that she let down her hair, which was most likely up and covered. And that she had to let it down in order to do that for Jesus. You know, she did what no respectable woman at this time and place would have done. This cannot be overstated. For her to let down her hair was scandalous. It was offensive. You know, it was against Jewish law for a woman to do this. And it was a punishable offense. And most likely, henceforth, after this, she would be ostracized in her community, cast out. But knowing this, knowing what was at stake, she risked it all for Jesus. And then if all this weren't enough, She takes out her alabaster jar of perfume, this very expensive jar that probably cost her everything she had. And she takes it out and she anoints Jesus' feet with it. And in doing all this, she fulfilled all of the cultural obligations that Simon failed to do. You know, when we look at the woman's actions, how can we characterize them? You know, to me, they were acts of extreme kindness. With no regard for herself, she showers Jesus with kindness, gentleness, and adoration. In other words, extreme love. You know, love is kind. It's kind. You know, I appreciate just moments ago, I'm just sitting in my seat and I have a card handed to me. 
And I was like, oh, wow. And I opened the card. And it's a brother wanting to encourage me and thank me for spending time with him. You know, he had no obligation to do that. You know, it's an honor and, and, and a joy for me to spend time with this brother. But he was kind. He showed kindness to me. And that is love. Love is kind. How can we imitate the love that this woman demonstrated? We gotta be kind. We gotta be kind to one another. We gotta be kind to those that we work with every day, those that we go to school with. We gotta be kind to our neighbors, those who live around us. But most importantly, and I believe this is the most important thing, we need to be kind to ourselves. We need to be kind to ourselves. You know, we need to show honor and respect to all people. We need to be hospitable. We need to be willing to lower ourselves in order to lift others up. We need to be able to take those risks, to be vulnerable, to risk getting hurt. Let's continue on in the story. In verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman that what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. You know, how does Simon who probably had planned all this out, react. So I'm sure this woman kind of spoiled his plan. How does he react to this great display of adoration? You know, he sticks his nose up. You know, puffs himself up. And in the thought to himself, he questions Jesus' authority. How could this guy? He, doesn't he know who this woman is? And he begins to cast judgment on her. And again, we see Simon showing the complete depths of his rudeness. You know, and it is easy for me to look at Simon right now and read and reading this and just be indignant. And look at him and say, how dare you? How dare you question Jesus' authority? How dare you judge this woman? Who are you, Simon? But if I'm completely honest with myself, you know, I have to admit that I have similar thoughts as Simon's towards other people. But it's amazing through this whole situation you know how Jesus reacts and responds. It's almost like he's completely indifferent to what's going on. He's essentially silent. He's completely silent, right? He's just allowing everything to happen. It doesn't faze him at all in the slightest. The disrespect, the humiliation, no big deal. The adoration, the praise. You know, he's just there. And it is not until Simon has this thought. You know, I believe this was a thought in his mind. He wasn't just like talking to himself. But he had this thought in his mind. And it's not until Simon had this thought. Jesus says, now it's my time to address this situation. Now it's my time to speak up. Which leads me to my second point. First point was love is not kind. Oh, love is, love is not kind. Ooh. Love is kind, not rude. My second point is more gratitude 
more love. I'll read verse 40 through 43. And Jesus answering said to Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. It's a 10 times difference there. Complex math. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, hmm, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to them, hmm, you have judged rightly. You know, Jesus tells this simple parable. You know, and if you look at this, it's really simple math, isn't it? It's, it's, it just boils down to the greater the debt, the greater the love, right? The lesser the debt, the lesser the love. That's not rocket science. We can all figure that right. right? It's so simple that even Simon got it. Where he got his, oh, I got the answer for this one. But really, Simon at this point is clueless. He has no idea what Jesus is doing. He has no idea that Jesus is actually talking about him in this parable. But that is about to change as Jesus is going to turn the tables on Simon. Let's continue reading in verse 45 through 50. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, Jesus is amazing, right? Because what did, what was Simon's complaint about Jesus? Is this guy a prophet? This guy can't be a prophet. But Jesus was like, ah, oh, Simon, I'm, I'm going to show you that I am a prophet. And not only do I know who this woman is, but I know who you are. And he, Jesus knew this woman. He knew who this woman was. And he knew that her sins were many. But he also knew that her sins were forgiven. And he knew that because... Her many sins were forgiven. She responded to him with extreme love. And she knew that she completely understood what grace was all about. That she was the one who owed 500 denarii. And that Jesus had canceled that debt for her. And she was compelled. Compelled by that to love. Compelled by that to do what she did at that dinner table. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. 
But he who is forgiven little loves little. I mean, Jesus also knew who Simon was, right? He knew Simon's heart. And at this point in the story, Simon is probably starting to figure it out. He's probably starting to realize Jesus is talking about him here. And that he was the one who has been forgiven little. And therefore has loved little. But this wasn't actually a matter of Simon sinning less. I want to make that clear. And get that point across. This is not a quantification of sins here. No. What it really was, it was a matter of, of Simon thinking he had sinned less. It was a matter of perception. And Simon's perception of himself was completely, completely out of whack. Simon thought he was the better. He was the righteous one. He was doing everything right. He was reading his scriptures. He was obedient to the law. He was following everything in the best that he could. He thought he was the one that sinned less. You see, Simon had never come to terms with the depth of his own heart. And so he doesn't appreciate God's generous love, his amazing grace, when it sits in person at his own table. I mean, literally, Jesus, his Lord, his Savior, is right there before him, dining at his table, at his house. But yet, he's blind to it. He's completely blind to the reality of what was going on around him. You know, Simon had no understanding of grace. But this woman, she knew grace. Simon had no understanding, and therefore, he loved little. He was rude. You know, I mentioned earlier that I could have thoughts like Simon. You know, it's when I have those thoughts, I need to stop. I need to ask myself, do I understand grace? Do I really get it? Do I realize the depths of my heart and where I've come from and how much I need God's forgiveness? Not just however many years it was I got baptized, but each and every day. You know, I need to ask myself, have I become like Simon? You know, where is my heart? What about you? Do you understand grace? I mean, really, really understand grace. You know, I believe every one of us in this room this morning is the sinful woman. You know, we are, all of us. We are all sinners. Romans chapter 3 tells us, for all have fallen short of the glory of God, or for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the question is, do we have the same response to Jesus as the sinful woman does? Do we love much? You know, I believe it's only when we see our need for forgiveness and receive God's grace through Jesus that we we will be able to love in this way. And when we love Jesus in this way, you know, that love is going to naturally radiate out, radiate out from ourselves and will impact other people. And we will be able to share this love with all those around us. And you know, my prayer for us all this morning 
is that we fully embrace this grace. And as we fully embrace this grace, as we fully see our need for grace, we will be compelled, that we will be compelled to love. And if you are visiting us today and have not fully grabbed hold of this grace, I implore you, I implore you, sit down with somebody today, study your Bible, and learn what this love is all about, what this amazing love is all about. God loves you. He loves each and every one of us here. And we were created for love and to be loved. Amen? Amen. Church, are you compelled to love? We need to remember love is kind. It's the random acts of kindness, paying it forward, doing these little things, not being rude, not being like Simon, not looking down on people. Love is kind. It's not rude. And let us show our kindness and love to the greater Blue Ridge community. But before we do that, let us realize that more gratitude equals more love. And let's be grateful for the grace that God has lavished upon us and offers us freely this morning. Amen? Amen. And thank you, and to God be the glory. Thank you.